Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Today is a real special day for me. Um, my family and I, we've been on vacation, and, and I wanted to come back because I wanted to be the one to introduce um, the, the speaker today, those who's, the person who's going to be sharing the Word of God. And this individual today is a dear friend of mine. He's been a friend of mine for many, many years. He was on staff here at Faith for 15 and a half years. And God called him and his wife, Janelle, to go and plant a church in Westminster. And, and they've been doing a tremendous job. And they planted a church over there called Novation. And uh, they are just tremendous. They are, they, are, they are a man and a woman after God's heart. But this individual has been my friend. I call him. I talk to him about things that are going on. I call him, talk to him about ministry, my personal life, things in ministry as well. And he does the same with me. And he's a tremendous teacher of the word. He's a tremendous pastor. And can we just give a Faith Bible Chapel welcome to Pastor Scott Applegate today. We love you, man. Bless you. A little bit more, come on. You guys did better than the first service, so I appreciate that. I see a lot of familiar faces. And you're sitting in the same seats you did 10 years ago when I left this church. That's so funny, we're creatures of habit. Let's get the elephant out of the room. Yes, I'm gray. Okay, 10 years has gone by, you're grayer too. So, so let's just deal with that. But um, thank you, Jason for the privilege of being here. And uh, let's pray. Father, we seek your heart this morning. We seek to be transformed. We're grateful for Jesus. We're grateful for your kingdom. We're grateful for your power. Father, we don't need to hear from me. We need to hear from you. So I pray you be the teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. So on Monday... October 26th, 1992, almost 30 years ago, um, I came into agreement with Jesus that he is the Lord and Savior of all. I came into agreement with him. I became his follower, and I haven't looked back since. All the ups and downs and things that come with walking with Jesus, I've experienced knowing that he's the perfect Savior. I'm imperfect, but I follow a perfect Savior who is perfecting each one of us as we walk with him. And so after it was Monday, not too many people get saved on a Monday, right? It's usually Sunday is like the day, and you walk the aisle and fill out a card or pray a prayer or whatever. It was Monday. I was in my truck when the Lord really drew me to him. And so that following Sunday... My parents had, had been going to this church called Faith Bible Chapel, and we lived two blocks down the street. And um, I saw God really transform their lives. And so I knew I needed to go to church as a new Christian, and so I said, I'll go to Faith Bible Chapel. And went in the old sanctuary on the east side, and I walked in, and, and Pastor Russ Fraze is preaching. And he, was, and he was preached a message called, While Good Men Sleep, evil men play. And I thought, uh-oh, we're in church now. This is, we're having church. And everybody was like during worship raising their hands. 
And I didn't knew to church, and I thought, does everybody have a question at the same time? Somebody going to answer that? And, you know, I thought, I'm not going back to where I was in my life. This is going to be, this is going to be my home. And Faith Bible Chapel is the only church I've known in my life other than the last 10 years of us planting, you know, a new church. Shortly after becoming a Christian, I, I sensed a calling that I wanted to give my life to local church ministry. I went to Pastor George and I said, Pastor George, here's what I'm feeling. What should I do? And he said, well, we just started a two-year Bible Institute called Rocky Mountain Bible Institute. I want you to meet Russ Phrase. And I went and met Russ and signed up, went through Bible college. And a year after graduating, they took an old knucklehead, well, young knucklehead back then, like me, and put me on staff as a, the youth pastor. And I'd spent many, many years, probably had a lot of your kids, maybe some are in here, but uh, did high school ministry for a long time, several ministries that I did, kind of was a utility guy for all those years. And it prepared me and us for what we were going to do in being a lead pastor church planter. It, it, God, little did I know what God was doing and the preparation of that. So fast forward, June 2011, I told, uh, well, Janelle and I were feeling a sense of restlessness that God was calling us to something. We didn't know exactly what it was, but we were praying and seeking God. And we took our kids on vacation to Phoenix. And we were by the pool. How many know in Phoenix in June you need to be by the pool? And we were by the pool, and we had got to know this couple. And she was from New York, and they're East Coast. And she had been kind of pumping back the beers pretty good poolside there. And uh, she kind of got a little loose-lipped, loose and we're a blended family. And she goes, hey, your son, he doesn't look like you. You know, New York, hey, it doesn't look like you. What's your story? And that's my best New York accent, sorry. Um, and before I could get a word out of my mouth, my amazing wife began to tell our story of what God had done in our lives, the redemption of what Jesus had done. And in that moment, I knew we were supposed to start a church. I knew that we were supposed to start a church for broken folks, just like my me being broken. We're all broken. When we can admit we're broken, that's, the, that's a good place to be. He's the restorer and just a fresh start for us and a fresh start for people. And that's why we named our church Novation. It means a fresh start. That's what that literally means. And um, we, I came home after that vacation. I went to Pastor George's office and I, with a little bit of fear and trembling, I said, Pastor George, we feel like we're supposed to start a church. We don't want any money. We don't want anything. We want your blessing. You are our pastor. And so if you say we're supposed to do it, no pressure, Pastor George, but if you say we're supposed to do it, we'll do it. If you say no, we won't. We'll believe we're hearing from God as our pastor. And he came back and he said, you're supposed to do it the following Monday. You're supposed to do it. Well, 10 years later, I'm back. Whoa, deja vu. Here we are, you know. So that's what's been going on. Thank you. I spent a, a lot, of, lot of Wednesday nights right here, a lot of Sundays, and uh, it's just really cool to be here, and it's really cool to see a, a lot of you guys that have given us love and support in many ways. Um, 
My middle daughter is with me here this morning. She's now 22. When she was five years old, she gave me the greatest dad compliment any dad can get. She said, Dad, when I'm older, can I marry you? And I said, we'll talk about it when you get older, right? You know, we'll, we'll figure that one out. In the moment, I was like, that's awesome. So I thought I'd share a couple funny things that some little kids say when they were talking about the subject of, of marriage. Little Alan, he's age 10, he was asked, how do you decide who you should marry? And he answered with, you got to find somebody that likes the same stuff you like. Like if you like sports, she should like it that you like sports and she should keep the chips and dip coming. <laughs> uh, and then little Kristen, age 10, she said, no person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it all the way before, and you get to find out later who you're stuck with. <laughs> Little Camille, age 10, what is the right age to get married? She said, well, 23 is the best age because you know the person forever by then. <laughs> Little Freddie, age 6, he said, no age is good to get married at. You got to be a fool to get married. <laughs> okay. How can you tell if two people are married? How can a stranger tell if two people are married? And he said, you might have to guess based on whether they seem to be yelling at the same kids or not. <laughs> Nobody in this room, I, I know, I know. Um, what do you think your mom and dad have in common? Well, Lori, age eight, both don't want any more kids. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, what would you do on a first date that was turning sour? Craig, age nine, he said, I'd run home and play dead. The next day, I would call all the newspapers and make sure they wrote about me in all the dead columns, <laughs> whatever a dead column is, right? Anybody remember what a newspaper was, actually? Somebody's saying that. What's a newspaper? Um, when is it okay to kiss someone? Pam, age seven, said, when they're rich. <laughs> And then little Howard, age eight, said, the rule goes like this. If you kiss someone, then you should marry them and have kids with them. It's the right thing to do. He got that one right. The greatness of a life is not measured by its length. The greatness of a life is measured by its impact, its influence. Not the length not, not the quantity of, of days, but the quality of days, the quality of relationship, the quality of influence. Um, Oswald Chambers was a Scottish pastor in the 1800s, and we have our devotional called My Utmost for His Highest. Who's read My Utmost for His Highest? Most hands just went up. Well, most people don't know that Oswald died early, in his early 30s. He had a congregation of about 20 people that he faithfully loved and that he uh, faithfully fed the Word of God. His wife, this is pre-computers and all this stuff, his wife dictated and wrote down his sermons word for word. And he died suddenly in his 30s, and after he died, they turned that, all his preaching into the devotional. So he didn't live a very long life. But almost every hand was raised in here that you've been influenced by Oswald Chambers' writings. So it's not the length 
of a life. It is that as the greatness of a life, but it's the impact. He had impact. He never got to see the impact of his ministry. Think about that. But his reward is great in heaven for his, his faithfulness to God's word. So today, we're going to talk about the ingredients of a godly legacy. What are the key ingredients to leave behind a godly legacy? It's never too late to leave behind a godly legacy. It's never too late to get right and to get relationships right and all that comes together in that. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 20, verse 17 through 38, the example of the, the apostle Paul. How many know Paul had an impactful life? Very impactful. Paul, the, let me set up the context of this chapter. Chapter 19 of Acts, Paul goes to Ephesus where we have our book Ephesians. He goes to Ephesus and he stays with them for three years, teaching them the gospel, and raising up leaders and, and plants this solid church. And at this point in chapter 20, it's fast forward, Paul knows he's going to Jerusalem facing difficulty from the religious leaders. There was going to be persecution. And he calls for the Ephesian church leaders to come so that he can pour his heart out to him. That's, that's kind of the window of what we're looking into when you think of, of what we're talking about today and how we see this unfold about his example of a godly legacy. And the first thing I want you to write down is just the first ingredient is integrity. Boy, I am great. You see yourself on the screen. It's funny. Sorry to draw attention to that, but um, the word integrity, it means true to the original, to be authentic. Literally in Bible times, to uh, what they, how they would, the word integrity was used is if you went to the market and you bought a piece of pottery, you wanted to put your water in it, you would hold that up to the sunlight, and if you could see sunlight, you knew it had cracks. Therefore, it lacked integrity. If it didn't have any cracks, it had integrity. So literally, integrity means without cracks. So Luke writes, and he says, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. Did you catch that? You know how I lived when I was with you. I lived with integrity. I lived without cracks. I lived true to the original. Here's something you got to get right away. People can take a lot of things from us. They can take your money, they can take your stuff, possessions, but they can't take your integrity. We give our integrity away. That's, that's just the truth we have to realize. When I, when I lack integrity, I'm giving it away. No one can take that from us, though. Reputation is who others think we are or who others perceive we are. Integrity is who we truly are. If you want to read a great book on integrity, Pastor Russ wrote a book about integrity, and it's a great part of his legacy. You can pick that up at Joshua Nations um, or Amazon as well, but it's a great book. I've been reading it lately. Integrity is who we really are. My integrity was tested a couple months ago. You guys know the Olympics have been happening, and the Summer Olympics brought back baseball, which I happen to be a huge fan of the game of baseball. 
And um, it's funny, some were shouting, I haven't seen you in 10 years. I, yep, yep, you do love baseball. <laughs> but I wanted a Team Israel hat. It's really cool blue hat with the Star of David and a guy swinging a bat in the middle of it. So I found this obscure website that had them. I ordered one. I'm all excited. Ten days later, it shows up, the box. I'm like a little kid on Christmas morning. I open it up and it's defective. Like the stitching was all bad. And I was like, wah, 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 kind of experience there. And so I immediately emailed the place where I bought it. And I said, listen, the hat you sent me is defective. She said, oh, we'll get you a new one right away. Send me, here's a shipping label, ship it back to us. I did that. Seven days later, a new perfect Team Israel hat arrived. I'm happy. And then 10 days later, another hat showed up with no label, no, no shipping stuff, paper inside. And I thought, huh, am I getting blessed here? Am I getting blessed with a second hat or what's going on? And I started thinking, and I could have one for walking, one for, one for being cool. I could have, give one as a gift. Who knows? I've been blessed by the heavens with another Team Israel hat. Then I thought, no, that's not what you're going to do, Scott. And I emailed and I said, hey, you accidentally sent me a second hat. And I'll be honest with you, uh, I was kind of thinking she was just going to say, keep the hat. You've been through enough. I was expecting that, actually. And I send the email and no, no response, just a shipping label. And I'm like, wait. You just want me to ship this back to you. That, you know, I was thought about it and I thought, oh, Lord, I, that, that sounds so small in the area of integrity. I get it. But integrity in little things leads to integrity in bigger things. Lack of integrity in little things leads to lack of integrity in big things. So if we want to leave behind a godly legacy, a legacy that has impact, it begins with being truthful, begins with walking in integrity. The second thing is steadfastness. Steadfastness. Being steadfast is <clears throat> being steady. It's being uh, resolved, living by convictions. If you're a dad in this room, show up for your kids. That's half the battle is just showing up and being there, that they get the best of your time, steadiness with your time your kids need more than anything. Because be, you'll blink and they'll be teenagers, and then they don't need your time as much. Then you blink and they're out of the house. So it's just the way that, that goes. So spend time with your kids. Show up. Paul steps in and begins to share with these Ephesian leaders. He says, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. It almost sounds like Paul's bragging about himself in this, but he's not. He is just being pouring his heart out. And he said, listen, you know I showed up. You know I did what God asked me to do in your presence. So integrity and steadfastness, and then the third ingredient to a godly legacy is boldness, boldness. Paul says, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. 
However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Did you catch that? I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what's ahead. I just know there's hardships and prison await me. Boldness is doing something risky that you're compelled to do that you don't know how it's going to turn out. If you're like me, I'd like to know how this is going to turn out, then I'll do it, right? What, what's, but that's not the, the definition of risk is going not knowing sometimes, not knowing what's going to happen there. So Paul knew he was headed to difficulty, probably death, but boldly went anyway. That's courage. And we need boldness in like that kind of boldness in our relationships, your friendships, as a spouse, as a, as a parent, as an employee or an employer. We need a, a holy boldness, a boldness that has integrity, that has love wrapped around it. Paul had a protective instinct. And in his protective instinct, he was caring for this church. And I, I was... Uh, share this in, in the first service as well. I walk a lot and we live out in um, Farvada. You know where Farvada is? West Arvada? We've renamed it Farvada. And um, we have all kinds of trails. And so I get my own National Geographic Discovery Channel stuff on my walks all the time. I've seen 10 point buck before. I, see, I saw a 10 foot bull snake. Ugh. I just saw all kinds of crazy stuff along the way. But I, every, almost every time I, I walk, I see this hawk that's hunting. Magnificent creature, huge wingspan. And he's always hunting. There's always these little birds trying to keep the hawk away. They must eat birds or birds' nests or whatever. And so this one day I'm walking and I see this hawk like 30 feet above my head. And he's flying like he's fleeing danger. And as he flew by, I looked up and there's this little small bird on his neck, pecking away, man, trying to save her little babies and, and protect her nest. And I thought, wow, that's protective instinct. In the same day, I see two magpies. You know what magpies are, the little black and white trash birds, they eat roadkill and all that. Well, these magpies were, were with this huge, this bit, not huge, but a big mature mama rabbit. And the rabbit was like leaping at these magpies as they were coming towards her. And as I looked a little closer, I heard a There was a little baby rabbit like this, cute as could be, right? Big cute eyes and the magpies were trying to get that little baby rabbit. And I thought, oh, not on my watch is this happening. Not on my watch am I gonna watch a little baby rabbit get destroyed by two disgusting magpies. <laughs> and so I went and I shooed those magpies away and got them to finally leave. And then the mama rabbit didn't know if I could be trusted or not. So she thought about like getting on me a little bit, but then she realized, oh, he might be here to, to rescue. Sure enough, the magpies went away and the mom and the little rabbit went to safety and da, 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 the hero saved the day. That was me. <laughs> I felt pretty cool about that. If you've never rescued a rabbit, try it. Uh, make you feel good about yourself. But immediately after that, this thought hit me. Jesus boldly came on a rescue mission for us. He boldly entered into 
mortality in, a, in our broken mess of a world. He entered in to the world that Adam had turned upside down by his fall. He entered into that world. And he came to save us, as Jason was saying earlier, by his life, his death, and his resurrection. You guys know who William Wilberforce was? He was a, a lawyer in the late 1700s. And he boldly had a passion to see slavery absolved in England. And he went years after years, disappointment after disappointment before the courts and all that he was doing to finally one day see slavery abolished in England. He, he basically single-handedly did that with the help of a few. That's boldness. That's the, that's, that's a his boldness left a legacy behind. His boldness left that legacy. Now, we're mortals. To be a mortal means you're going to die. We are mortals. And mortals are afraid of a lot of things. We're afraid of loss. I know we're Christians, and we know when we die, we're going to pass into eternity. But we'd like to be able to say how old we're going to be when we die and, and how, we're, how I'm going to die. 110, fall asleep, and wake up in heaven, right? That's kind of how we all want it to be. It's like Woody Allen, the comedian, said, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> That's true. Immortals aren't afraid of anything. We call them superheroes, Avengers. They're, they can't die. Maybe some of the Avengers can die. I haven't seen them all, so spoiler alert, my bad if they do die. But Jesus entered into our mortality, into our fallen world. He took on God in the incarnation, took on humanity, took on flesh. And in his humanness, he knew that as he lived his life, showed us what God the Father was really like. He came to clear up what God was really like. People had warped ideas and still do. If you want to know what God is like, look into the face of Jesus. Read the Gospels. That's what the Father is like. And Jesus knew that when he submitted himself to death, that the Father was going to raise him and he was going to be raised in a body 1 Corinthians 15 talks all about this, raised in a body that could never die. Jesus, his human body can never die. So here's good news. You can be bold in life because whenever you die, those in Christ are going to be raised in a resurrected body and we'll never be able to die again. That's the beauty of the resurrection. We, our whole faith hinges on the miracle of the resurrection, hinges on that. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? What shall I be afraid? I ask myself that question all the time. Scott, what are you afraid of? You're with Jesus. He says, fear not. Stop worrying. So I'm working on it. And I know you are too. It's something that we in our mortality are always working through. Next ingredient to a godly legacy is faithfulness. Faithfulness. Success to God is this word, faithfulness. Are you faithful? Will you be faithful to do the life I've called you to do and be faithful to the people around you? Be faithful to your relationships. We think success in our world is, you know, having stuff and promotions and nice houses. That's, the world sees success that way. 
popularity. God sees it as faithfulness. He sees those secret things that we do when nobody's looking, faithfulness. Paul continues, he says, now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God, faithfulness. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the, of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Paul knew what he was called to do, and he did it. He was faithful. Now, we're not called to be Paul. There's only one Paul. I'm not called to be Jason. He's not called to be me. You're not called to be like somebody else. You have a calling on your life. And you say, well, what is it? Well, let's start with your purpose. Every person in this room or watching online, I can tell you what your purpose is. It's to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Your calling is the unique way God wants you to express that and in the situations and circumstances you find you're in. And be faithful. Just be faithful to love the people around you. He calls each of us to be faithful, not successful. Then the next ingredient of a godly legacy is generosity. Generosity. Each one of these ingredients is true of God. God's a God of integrity, steadfastness, faithfulness, and God is a generous God. We have a generous God. Paul says, now I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than receive. That's one of those lost beatitudes. Remember Matthew 5, Jesus says, blessed, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who, who, who mourn. Well, he says it's more blessed. You'll be happier when you give and you're generous than when you receive. Now, take a minute with me. We have a generous Father in heaven. He's so generous that he shared his one and only unique eternal son with us. He gave it all. He is all, the father in salvation was all in by giving his son. You should meditate on that every morning that we have a generous father who's given every, his very best to us. And then in the son of God, we have a savior. We have a savior who shares everything that is his. He's the heir to the Father, and he says, you know what, I want to share it with my people. 
read the letters of Paul over and over. He says we are joint heirs with Christ. Ephesians 1 says everything that is Christ, spiritually speaking, he's given to us. He shared it. You lack nothing. You and I lack nothing. And when the, more, the quicker we meditate on that, the more thankfulness begins to come out of my heart rather than, than worry or, you know, selfishness. He, we, we lack nothing. Even, I read this this past week, Revelations 3, uh, verse 21, Jesus says, to he or she who overcome, I will share my throne with them. You ever thought about that? He's going to share his throne with us. How do we overcome? By trusting in the one who overcame. He overcame. He's the overcomer. By faith, we're with him. He's going to share his very throne. That's how generous the father and son are. When it comes to generosity in life, there's two approaches. There's a scarcity mentality. And scarcity approach to generosity is, well, if I give it away, if I'm generous, what's going to be left over for me? An abundance mentality is, first of all, it's all God's to start with. Everything I have is His, and I can't outgive God. We don't give to get. We just, it's a principle that God has laid out in His kingdom that He is the God of abundance. He's loaned all this to us and says, be generous with, with it and watch what I'll do in your life. Watch what I will do for you. The most happy people I know are generous with their life. They're generous with their time, they're generous with their talents, and they're generous with their treasures. You can't outgive God in any of those areas. I know it feels like that when it comes to time sometime, but watch what God will do when you're even generous with your time. So all those ingredients lead to what I've said a few times. The measure of a great life is not its length, but its impact. And that's the last thing I want you to write down is impact. We all want that. We all want to have our lives have impact on others. I believe that. It continues on. It says, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. You think about the impact of the apostle Paul. Incredible. Every time we read the New Testament, every time we walk into the doors of a church, he, he was one of those pieces that God used to start the domino effect. So thank God for his impact. But let's make it a little more personal, at least for me. I think about my dad. My dad went home to be with Jesus this past Thanksgiving. My mom and dad were part of this church from 1988 till uh, he begrudgingly <laughs> went over to Novation with us. He was like, are we really doing this? Are you sure George said it's okay? <laughs> like, it, yeah, he did, Dad. Um, because he loved Pastor George, man. They were tight. And, but I think of my dad's legacy. He was an only child. His mom left when he was five, raised by his dad and grandpa. And at his memorial, you know, he had 30 grandkids. And 14 of the older grandkids got up and shared about how Papa did this and Papa spent time, how Papa showed up. And I thought, man, what a great legacy my dad had. I want that. And I think of uh, Pastor George. 
you know, what a faithful man. So many years of being faithful to leading and pastoring, you know, this church, that's not easy. It's not easy to be a lead pastor, let alone a pastor of a large church. And he did it faithfully, integrity, steadfast. And I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that man and what he did in taking a chance on me and sticking his neck out for me. I think a Russ phrase, the impact that he had on my life, let alone thousands of others in this city and throughout the world, the impact of a godly legacy. And he didn't think that about himself at all. He, he's so humble about, you know, his legacy. I think about Jason. I've known Jason a long time. You have a great pastor. You have the real deal. You do. He's a man of passion, vision, um, walks in humility, though. He's a humble man, and you, you, God is drawing you in such a way and raising you up that, that, that legacy. I know you're not doing this for whatever's going to be about you. You want every eye to look at Jesus, and they will, but it does take willing vessels like yourself. So good job. You are a good pastor. I do, as a pastor, have done a lot of funerals, and... Um, you know, when you do a funeral, you're there to remember and celebrate the life of the person that, that passed on. But I know that at, at every memorial, everybody that's coming in is also thinking about their own. What's going to be said at my memorial? What will I be remembered for? What will I be celebrated for? We all want to leave behind a life that had an impact on people, where we walked in integrity, steadfastness, faithfulness, boldness, generosity. We have a, a young lady in our, our church who recently lost her grandma. And she was telling me how special her grandma was, how much time grandma spent with her and how much impact grandma had on her life and many others. And I thought, you know what? They're not going to write a book about her life. They're not going to make a movie about her life. It doesn't matter. She did what God called her to do in being faithful to the person and to, she was supposed to be and faithful to the people around her. And when she passed on into eternity, I know Jesus was waiting there saying, well done, good and faithful servant. I want that. You want that. That's what life's about. That's what keeps us going, is living for that day, enjoying the people around us, enjoying and, and, and being faithful to them. So I wonder, I want to finish with this question, a thought. When it comes to the ingredient of integrity, steadfastness, boldness, faithfulness, generosity, which one of those did you maybe feel the loving conviction of God on? Condemnation is always from the evil one. Conviction comes as a loving gift from the Holy Spirit to say, hey, Scott, don't do it. Don't do that. Don't say that. Here's what I want you to do. That conviction is from a relationship that we have with God. And if you feel that conviction this morning, thank him for it. 
Thank him that your heart is not dull to, to, to not hear his conviction. And then do what he says to do. Following Jesus is just putting into practice what he says to do. Believing that whatever Jesus says to do or not to do, it's in your best interest, out of love and out of the best kind of life any of us can live and a life that's totally impactful. Align your will with his will on a daily basis. It's not easy to do. But as a, on a daily basis, Lord, take my will, align it with yours. Let me pray. Father, thank you for each person in this room. Thank you for everyone that's watching online. I pray that you would, you would uh, bless their lives with courageous faith to walk in faithfulness, steadfastness, boldness, loving boldness, integrity, generosity. And that God, we would leave behind a life of impact when it's all said and done. Help us to begin today. Um, Lord, those that are feeling conviction about messes that they've made in relationships or messes they've made in other people's life, show them your grace is sufficient that you give a fresh start every day, that the mercy of the Lord is new every day, to help them to give your, their past to the cross and give their today and tomorrow to the resurrection, that you give new life. Bless their relationships, strengthen marriages, strengthen homes, friendships. We all just say we wanna follow you wholeheartedly, Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen, amen. Can we, can we thank Pastor Scott? We're, we're going to pray for Pastor Scott. And Janelle, would you mind coming up here? Ow. Come on, this is this his wife, and uh, he, he, he really likes her. <laughs> and that's awesome, yeah. Hey, guys, let's, let's all stand to our feet. I think it's important we understand that any person who comes in contact with us as a church leaves blessed. Do you believe that? And so if you can, I want you to extend your hand to this faithful couple and let's bless them. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bless Scott and Janelle. God, we bless their ministry. We thank you for their example of faithfulness, their example of living gospel-centered lives. God, thank you for Scott's example of preaching the word in integrity and not preaching ideas of his own and then trying to get the Bible to match with his ideas. God, he's been a faithful man that's preached the word of God faithfully his whole ministry. God, I ask you today that you would bless them as they lead and as they minister to the body you've called them to over in Westminster. God, I thank you right now, God, for what you've called them to do. Thank you, the Lord, that we, we have a friendship and we have a partnership on different places in the city. But God, we bless their church today in Jesus' name. God, I ask you that you would bring into their church, God, those who they've called, that you've called them to reach. God, you grow their church with those who don't know you, those who are in need of hope, those who are in need of healing, that God, you'd use this ministry to reach them. God, surround them with leaders who hold up 
their arms. God, remove the people around them that, that criticize them and are put there by the enemy to discourage them. Remove them in the name of Jesus and place around them those, God, who are going to champion the call of God on their life. And God, in the name of Jesus, this house and this body blesses Pastor Scott and Janelle Applegate, and we bless Novation Church today in the name of Jesus. We all say amen and amen. Bless you guys. Love you all. Yeah, bless you. Hey, listen, while you're standing, just lift your hands to the Lord. I want to bless you today. As we leave here, it's important we understand God's called you to leave an impact. And so I'm going to pray God's blessing over your life. So God, in the name of Jesus, you know every context of every person here. God, you know where they are. You know where they lead. You know their sphere of influence. And God, in Jesus' name, I ask you that you would prosper them, that you would lead them as they align their lives with integrity and generosity and steadfastness and faithfulness and impact, God, and boldness, that, God, you would prosper them. You give them your blessing over their lives. God, I pray today that you would bless marriages, that you would restore relationships between parents and children. God, I ask you that you would restore um, relationships, God, of people who who are bitter with each other. God, I pray that you would heal broken hearts. God, I pray that you would minister to those who had been betrayed. God, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke the devourer off of their life. I ask you that they would walk in complete clarity of their call and their purpose, that they would understand every believer is a minister of you, Jesus Christ, that they would go and leave an impact wherever they walk. God, I ask you today that you would restore everything the enemy has stolen from them, and that they today, as they they leave would know they are entering their mission field to be light, to be salt, and to be people of impact. In Jesus' name, we all say amen and amen.